Mozed, and you're here on Winner Take All. Thanks for joining us. Where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. And we're starting out with the traditional incumbent today. I'm joined by Nick Johnson, co-author with me on the book, Modern Monopolies. We spoke about Walmart yesterday, and they had a big beat on earnings. And uh, we were talking about their marketplace growth, having added 10 million products in the past nine months, 9.5 million of which came from third-party sellers. So only half a million dollars actually came from Walmart uh, buying inventory, holding it on their balance sheet, and then reselling it. Those are very impressive numbers. That's why they were able to beat once again on uh, e-commerce growth, quarterly e-commerce growth, which has now happened for them multiple quarters in a row. Long-term, we're very bullish on Walmart being the number two dominant marketplace behind Amazon. So we wanted to go a little bit deeper into um, some new materials that they published around their free two-day delivery program for third-party sellers. And so um, clearly, as a part of that push, you saw it with Amazon, where Amazon's been making a big one-day push. Um, you know, Walmart catching up, losing a billion dollars a year in e-commerce, particularly for their investments in infrastructure. Uh, so you can see here where they're now pre providing a deeper dive on what it means if you are a seller to participate in their two-day shipping program. So here um, they show by vertical. So home improvement goods having the biggest boost in um, basically what they say here up to a 40% increase in GMV. So you're going to have a 40% higher likelihood of throughput of more purchasing if you can get it with free two-day shipping, sporting goods, video games. That's interesting. I don't know. How many people are buying video games digitally, toys, you know, at the end is automotive. I don't really know why they would have put automotive on the chart. Electronics is kind of interesting that that's towards the probably end here. For automotive is probably auto parts, if I had to guess, not like they're shipping actual cars today. Yeah, I guess. You never yeah. Know. I mean, you'd think I don't know, auto parts would be a better name. I don't know. Anyway, um, interesting how they just break out like men's apparel versus women's apparel. Um and, and the different categories here, outdoor. Uh, the nice thing about this is you can basically see what's resonating the most with their customer base. I wouldn't necessarily, like home improvement's very interesting, especially given uh, yesterday's news that Home Depot had a pretty big miss on earnings. They dragged down the Dow um, a good amount. Meanwhile, this is by far their largest growth category is, is home improvement. Um, so that it's... Uh, Pretty impressive to see. So um, basically here, if you do participate in two-day shipping, you get a 36% chance of winning the buy box. So right, it, there could all third-party sellers are competing for the buy box, which is- 36% more likely. Not yes. 30, so it, it improves your chance of winning the buy box in terms of how they weighted in their algorithm. Amazon does the same thing with prime shipping, I believe. What's really cool here is they break this down into different regions. So they have 140 different subregions. So if if I'm a small business and I'm selling products on Walmart, that doesn't mean that I need to now be able to provide two-day shipping coverage nationally if I'm based in California, if I'm based in New York or the middle of the country. So now you can go on and you can pick um, what region you want to agree to provide two-day shipping. Um, and basically you're going to see a bigger boost in, in sales and, and all these kinds of things. Let's go a level deeper into this. Um, and you can actually, now this is actually their kind of FAQs on how to sign up and this kind of stuff. 
here are the so you can have two models to do two day shipping seller managed where you are either you know managing your own warehouse and managing your own fulfillment or you're using another um you know fulfillment network and basically you need to agree to have greater than 90 95% on time shipping delivery tracking so you can show that to the customer and low cancellations offer a generous return policy have a, a minimum amount of participation be a seller for 90 days uh or have a minimum of 100 orders those actually aren't very high bars if you, you know you need to do 100 orders or be a seller for 90 days that's not an Am- amazon amazon has a similar program they call seller fulfilled prime and i believe the requirements for that are a little bit more stringent in terms of who can offer it, but it's the same idea where basically you can ship within two days and we trust you can do it basically as good or close enough as good as Prime that will let you put the little Prime sticker on your thing. Yep. Now, that's the seller managed options. That's saying, hey, I'm going to take responsibility. I have um, you know, my own thing figured out, whether I do it myself or I have a partner, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Um, on the... If you don't have that, you can then use their delivery partner called Deliver with two R's. And uh, and now you don't need any of those minimum requirements because they have vetted out this partner called Deliver. So this seems like a pretty big deal. Walmart is basically saying that Walmart doesn't have like multiple delivery partners. They have one delivery partner called deliver right it's a startup that basically does uh what i would call fulfillment by amazon type service but as a service uh and i know walmart had been trialing this kind of stuff for a while with deliver and then has basically rolled this out nationally uh as a program and yeah rather than doing it themselves and basically having this be a service that sits on their balance sheet the way amazon does it they partnered with this company yeah now let's look at this deliver company they've raised 30 million dollars in funding and you'd think, oh, well, I bet Walmart put money into Deliver if they're now kind of like the third-party shipping option. You'd, you'd think that would make sense. Um, that's not the case. One of the, they have four investors, two of which are institutional. Um, the early one is actually 8VC. 8VC is a VC firm uh, founded by a guy named Joe Lonsdale. Um, Joe has started a... Um, Palantir with Peter Thiel. That's probably one of his biggest claims to fame, um, but a number of other businesses. Uh, the guy understands marketplaces very, very well. Clearly, so does Peter. Um, and then you say, okay, well, I don't know. You know, what, there, there's, I, I've, in my mind, there's got to be some kind of like preferred connection with Walmart in what's going on. Now, 8VC has senior advisors. One of the senior advisors is this guy. Chris uh, Soltemeyer, who used to be EVP of logistics at Walmart. And so this guy has left Walmart and he was running all of their logistics and fulfillment stuff. Um, So now this makes a lot more sense to me. You also have a former chief commercial officer of UPS over here. But still, this Walmart connection, I bet this guy helped really not to say that deliver doesn't have the expertise or doesn't deserve the business from walmart but i guarantee um this guy chris really helped thread the needle with walmart getting them into walmart navigating walmart figuring out how to set this up with walmart 
Yeah, um, you got you got to get the introduction, then you got to earn the business, and I'm sure that relationship helps. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty interesting. More to come on that. And uh, again, you know, long term, very bullish um, on on Walmart. So let's jump to this. Our friend Ben Thompson was talking about this interview um, in his in his email today. We're gonna play a minute or. So of it, um, John Stanky was heading up Time Warner, the, the, the business that AT&T bought for $100 billion, which owns HBO and a number of other things. Um, now he's been promoted to COO, I think of like eight of all AT&T. Anyway, he was in this interview with Recode. Um, and and what, what Ben quoted was a line where he said that they would let other content that AT&T doesn't own to be allowed to come into HBO Max's, uh, you know, streaming um, uh, product. Not going to call it platform because it's not a platform. And so that little quote loses the context. My mind was like, oh, my God, finally, AT&T is going to let third party user generated content into the platform. Um, this is going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, they're getting this fragmented supply, which they have a lot of leverage over, and this is really going to work. Well, when you watch the whole thing, what you find is that that's not the case. That's not what John was referring to. What he was referring to was to let other large media players. Like licensing other TV shows and that kind of stuff. Bundle their stuff in, like maybe, I don't know if Comcast, he was talking about Comcast Xander and, but you know, uh, other large media companies could then put their products into or through HBO Max that I would assume you have to pay an incremental fee for and right. all these kinds of things. So that's what he was talking about. I'll just play a little clip here and we can kind of dissect it a little bit. Yes, we fully expect that once the AVOD environment goes up, that it's not just going to be our content and our avails and inventory that's in that environment. So we very much would love this platform over time to receive content from others as well as inventory from others to go with that content. That's where that value proposition comes back through Xander. The way Xander operates today, it continues to have firewalls that are set up internally, just like any other wholesale business would have to ensure that it's done on a level playing field. Um, whether I don't want to prognosticate on behalf of Comcast as to whether or not they'll be comfortable with that, but there certainly are others out there beyond Comcast who can bring inventory and content in that uh, may find it to be an acceptable arrangement. Clearly, Comcast has been investing in an ad tech stack of their own. Um, I expect they're going to continue to try to push that business forward. And that's why when we started and we talked about this being a foot race over the next couple of years to gain scale on a platform, it's one example of why I think it's so important. So non-Warner Media media companies would be able to have their content, their shows or movies distributed within. Would HBO. fully expect that the platform at some point in time is a platform that we allow others to bring content into. I don't think, from my point of view, we're ever going to have uh, a lock or a monopoly on creativity. And you know, I think you've there's been a number of articles actually written the last couple of weeks about the frustration and the fragmentation of the bundle and what's going to happen. Uh, we're basically unbundling to rebundle. At some point, there will be platforms that re-aggregate. 
and rebundle. And we'd like the platform ultimately to be a place where reaggregation occurs. And that doesn't just mean our content. There is a future where they look at all the content has now kind of been unbundled where you used to get a one cable subscription and you would have now um, everyone has their own streaming service. Now everyone has their own yeah. streaming service. That's the unbundling. And there's a future state where there is bundling again. The difference is that you're not bundling up the fragmented supply. You're bundling up the compartmentalized buckets right. uh, from HBO or the five to, to 10 different a- media Amazon, players. I mean, Amazon already does this. You can subscribe to CBS All Access and those things. I don't think you can do Disney Plus yet, but the, the, they have other channel streaming services. You can subscribe through to Am, uh, to Amazon through Amazon to these other services. Right. Uh, I believe Apple wants to do the same thing with TV Plus and basically yes. use that as like a beachhead to facilitate these other things. So that they're not alone in wanting to do this. I think the economics in that are tough because it's not really again, it's not really a platform model. It's like we have a few partnerships that we are channel partners and sell these things for these folks. I mean, if that's the future of it, then, 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 then the platforms, the true platform companies, basically Apple and Google win that, you know, we haven't even seen really Google go that aggressively, but it comes down to like Apple music versus Spotify and Apple gets its 30% right. additional take rate. Cause it has a cleaner user experience to let you buy digital content. And that's the play. And you're at a serious disadvantage. What you need to do is find that fragmented supply amongst the user-generated p- providers. Right. You know, can you give me access to HBO type of content and let me create derivative content off of that? Can you let all these kind of like uh, influencers on different content platforms co-create or, or give me content that I put let, through my let, pipes? Uh, some of these media personalities, actors, producers, others create a following on there and mm-hmm. maybe you've watched their big TV show, which is licensed, you know, or bought by HBO and shown through HBO max, but then they have some kind of smaller project and they do that on their own and they want to showcase that too. There's a lot of different models in which you can do this, but you've got the relationship with the premium content. You've got the eyeballs and the users. It's really about using that in a slightly different way and embracing yep. uh, more kind of non-traditional TV yep. type content yep. in a way that gives you leverage network effects and better economics. Yeah. And I'd say, and doing it within like one to two years, not three to five, And (laughs) you know, you need to do it now. Just like if you're a retailer, you need to have millions of additional SKUs now, not in three to five years. Um, You've got to go get that fragmented supply ASAP because otherwise the tech platform monopolies, that's that's what they do. That's literally what they do. Um, So it'll be interesting to see uh how this plays out i was like potentially very excited from the snippet i read and then i watched it and um lost some of that excitement whatever um okay so next topic also a content platform also yeah i guess this is i mean this is like my challenge with this is i haven't logged in i have an account this is uh, Craig, the founder of Wikipedia, it's his alternative to Facebook, which is a paid social network, kind of right. pricey, like 12 bucks a month or yeah, 50 bucks a year or something like it's that. It's like 12 bucks a month, which is, it's like a New York Times subscription, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. what am I getting for this money? It, I, I, I struggle with the value prop, but why don't we talk about a little bit what it is? So I guess I could log in, but I don't know. I'm Whatever. We'll just talk through it. It's kind of like social network meets meets like 
news and like article sharing platform, like maybe kind of like a Twitter like with a Reddit, Reddit ish. Um, the interaction model is kind of interesting, I guess, you know, it, it says here it's a news focused social network. So they're, I guess, putting both of these things together. I guess it's kind of like a Twitter. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's really figured out exactly its core transaction. I think it's yeah. launched. It's gotten a lot of buzz. I think they've got maybe two or 300,000 users. The, the value they're trying to communicate is will help you not deal with fake news. You know, we want quality news and you can, I believe, edit the headlines if you think they're misleading, like users can improve stuff. So there's kind of that wiki element to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the... Uh, I think the the WT stands for Wiki Tribune, yeah. which is basically a past project that he Craig had started that shut down, uh, and this is basically the next iteration of that. Uh, it's it's interesting to see someone taking this on. I think it's not the first startup that's basically tried to charge for like better quality social network. None of the past ones have worked. Uh, I think you know it's getting some news now, but it's still relatively small. I think it's got like one hundred and fifty thousand users. Uh, I don't know. I, I struggle with this one to see. It's interesting to see someone taking this on, but I struggle to see the what the really that core transaction is and what the value prop is over not just a Facebook, but also like a Reddit. Uh, what is what is the value that they're bringing here? And how do you do that without, for example, just like being a news organization? Yeah. Uh, what's the platform play here? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I can tell you this. They were spamming me. With like literally like I signed up and then I probably had five emails about different articles that somehow were magically in my feed that I cared zero percent about. But it was like, go read these articles, go read these. I don't want to read these articles. Um, so then I unsubscribed to all of the notifications uh, about news. And so that that I can tell you definitely backfired. Good sign. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're pushing the news thing pretty hard. And then, yeah, you can kind of edit this and kind of like community-based editing of news articles with right. a social component on top of it. Interesting. I mean, I think the building, you can invite your friends, but... My, my, well, the thing that I'm curious about is what is the value they're adding that you need to pay $13 a month for? I mean, they, it is they, pricey. they're... I can get Disney Plus for seven bucks a month. Right. <laughs> for and free the, for the, a year. The, I think their thing is we're not going to charge you like use ads to monetize, but okay. Like what value are you bringing to me other because the network isn't there yet. It's not like I have a billion people and yeah. I'm going on there and you're saying rather than ads, you can opt in as like a subscription. It's like, I mean, you're it's gotten good me press and, and I'll tell you this, the media hates Facebook. So, you know, <laughs> any alternative to Facebook is a good thing uh, in their book. So, um, other, uh, platform shuttering news of, of the, the big bag, Big bad platform monopoly getting um, you know shade from from the competition. This would be Juno, the I think probably just primarily New York based yeah. ride sharing company that had raised hundreds of millions of dollars was acquired by Get. It was acquired years ago. by Get for kind of like a I don't know some aqua hire like you know the company was losing a bunch of money. Believed that it could make a case to be a third viable player against uber and lyft um which never made any sense to me they're giving away boatload of discounts 
Right. I think they were losing at one point, it said like a million dollars a day, which is not to say you know, Uber and Lyft aren't losing money, but Uber and Lyft also have much bigger market share and with that much better economics. And there wasn't right. clear why there would be room for a third player in the market. As you know, What's the sign say behind uh, Alex over here? Winner take all. I think this is one of those proof points where you see there are two dominant players in the market in the U.S. There wasn't room for a third. And no. eventually, uh, eventually that that's going to play out when the third player runs out of money and it just doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, yeah. We've seen this in other markets and now we're seeing it in ride sharing. Uh, there, there's going to be a shakeout in each market and there's only going to be one or two big winners. Right. And now we're kind of seeing this. I mean, not kind of, but we're starting to see this in um, food delivery. And so what was basically what leaked today was that DoorDash has leaked. They're considering a direct listing. I love this timeline from uh, Modest Proposal. I can zoom in here. Basically, what he's got is October 23rd, Postmates leaks. They may do a direct listing. October 28th, remember we covered this, their uh, Grubhub's uh, quarterly earnings. Grubhub says the industry is going straight to hell. November 9th, Bloomberg gets a leaked investor presentation that DoorDash wants to sell to Uber. November 19th, DoorDash leaks they are considering a direct listing. Um, and then he has a, a nice summation here. I have no idea what the game theory here is, but you got four players, negative billion dollars in EBITDA, and a difference tolerance for losses. Uh, so, as we've, again, as we were just talking about with Juno, Get, and then and then the consolidation on ride sharing, yep. you're seeing the same thing happen on the food delivery, food delivery space, right? um, which we've spoken about. We saw... There's Postmates also. There's there's Postmates. We saw Caviar get clawed back out from uh, Square. Square. Yeah, they got bought by DoorDash basically recently. Um, So there's still, I don't know, four or so of these big players. DoorDash, Postmates, Grubhub, and Uber Eats. Eats. Probably about two too many for the U.S. market. Yeah. Uh, I think you're going to see some consolidation, and it's a little bit of... uh, you know, musical chairs of like, no, we're ahead, we're ahead, we're going to go public. No, you want to buy us. Uh, someone, some of this is going to shake out. Some, some consolidation is going to happen. I think you're going to see an acquisition or two happen at some point. I think it's a question mm-hmm. of uh, basically negotiating going on here and and folks trying to get the multiple that they want uh, guess, on that guess acquisition. Who has the most leverage? Uber. Uber. Right. It's platform conglomerate, like textbook platform conglomerate situation. They've got the best access to the yep. capital. They've got the most scale, the most usage. Um, they have the biggest ride share. I mean, uh, yeah, food uh, food delivery business in the U.S. It, it doesn't surprise me that the news was DoorDash wants to be bought by Uber, and it would surprise me if it were the other way around. Oh, absolutely! If Uber were trying to sell Uber Eats to DoorDash, that would surprise me. But the DoorDash wants to get bought by Uber. I think that would be a good and, result for DoorDash. And so, actually, you know, the, the flip story of this is that the the fallout from investors having less of a tolerance for losses from the WeWork debacle, right, <laughs> is actually helping Uber, I would say. Because who is it putting pressure? It's putting pressure on the DoorDash and the Postmates. Right. The companies that want to go public but are going to have even more red ink uh, than Uber has in terms right. of these, these business models and less kind of upside. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're gonna struggle and they're going to look for alternative options. And the, they've seen... Uh, 
you know, Uber struggle as a public company. They've seen Lyft struggles in terms of their valuations coming down. Right. They see WeWork get destroyed and they're going to think, you know, maybe an, uh, an exit rather than trying to go public isn't a bad option. Yeah. Uber's got over $10 billion in cash. They've got access to the capital markets. Postmates and DoorDash clearly do not. That's why you see them talking about direct listing, not IPO, because the right. presumption is no one wants to fund their IPO. Or if they did, it, it might not go so well. Right. And so they just want to try and Bring get liquidity. some more liquidity in the right. shares. What's another way to get liquidity? Get acquired. So, um, yeah, I'd say this is this is a, a win for, our, for Uber. And I think we're going to see... Um, that pa- platform conglomerate scale turning into modern monopoly status um, win out, right? And, and, and the winner take all the room for their only one or two winners in the space. That thesis uh, tried and proven continued to ring true uh, in, in, the, in the food delivery marketplace space in the U.S. first. And then you'll probably see the shakeout in, in internationally. Um, in, uh, in other areas that Uber has been playing as well. So, yeah, you know, glad I doubled down when, tripled down when Uber just kept on getting destroyed in the stock market. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and Dara, Dara's prediction, I wish I could go to this Dara launch next week. Uh, no, in two weeks, but I'm going to be out of town. Uh, Dara, CEO of Uber, when... Kara Swisher and her sunglasses, you know, grills the guy and says that your business sucks. It's unsustainable. What's your AWS? And he says, not only is Uber ride sharing my AWS, but so is Uber Eats. Delivers it with complete conviction because the guy knows. And he was, that was just uh, like two weeks ago or two weeks ago, maybe that she was grilling him on this. And clearly what the funny thing is, She's grilling him, telling him how bad his business is and how unsustainable it is. He's probably got DoorDash knocking at his door saying, hey, do you want to buy us? Hey, do you want to buy us? He knows what's going to happen. He can see where this is headed and uh, there's not going to be room for four of these guys and Uber's in a better position than most of the other three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was good. It's good poker face, Dara. Um, Anyway, that's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you tomorrow.